Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Job chapter 3. Job chapter 3 in your pew Bible, that's probably page 351. Page 351. And today, the, the topic, the, the title of the sermon is The Saddest Lament in the Bible. There are a lot of laments in the Bible. There are a lot of very sad chapters, very sad stories. But this is going to top them all. Uh, and we've already had some several heavy sermons about Job. And I'm, so even though this is the saddest one, I'm going to try to make it a little lighthearted here at first by asking you, what is the saddest song you've ever heard? Saddest song you've ever heard. And there are a lot of sad songs out there. Um, one person in the congregation uh, told me about an old song called Johnny Angel, and I'd never heard it, but it's a, sort of a an unrequited love song, a song where she's in love with this guy named Johnny, but he doesn't even know she exists. Uh, and that's uh, certainly a sad song. <clears throat> There's a, an old song called Last Kiss about uh, two teenagers out on a first date and they get into a car wreck and the girl dies. And that is a very, very sad song, but we love some of these songs. Um, when I when I think of the, the saddest songs I've ever heard, <clears throat> and there's a song by R.E.M. called Everybody Hurts. Everybody hurts sometimes. You probably heard it. And I looked at it because it's, it's been in a lot of movies or TV shows, and I looked at them, and, it, and it's actually used comically more than anything else. It's so sad that it's comical. And it's been used in the, the movie A Night at the Roxbury, Family Guy, The Simpsons. Uh, so it's obviously so sad that it's funny. It's just it's just so over the top. Uh, the, the the other um, country music. I'm a I'm a big fan of country music. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And one of the saddest country music songs ever is "He Stopped Loving Her Today" by George Jones. And George Jones has one of the most mournful voices you've ever heard. There's just pain in his voice. Uh, it was all self-inflicted, by the way, but it's, there's a lot of pain in his voice. Uh, and the song, He Stopped Loving Her Today, the very first line is, He said, I'll love you till I die. And the song is called, He Stopped Loving Her Today. So do you know what happened today? Yeah, he died today. Uh, but possibly the saddest song I've ever heard, that the, the song that I just like, wow, that's so sad, is Sunday Morning Coming Down. <clears throat> it was a Johnny Cash song. And it starts out this way. I woke up Sunday morning with no way to hold my head that didn't hurt. Ouch. So this is somebody lamenting the previous night's uh, activities, the previous night's decisions. The second line, though, is, And the beer I had for breakfast wasn't bad, so I had one more for dessert. So here we've got somebody lamenting last night's decisions, but making the same bad decisions today. And it just gets worse from there. Uh, well, Job chapter 3 starts the epic poetry of the book of Job. Uh, Job is written as poetry, most of it at least. <clears throat> and this poetry uh, is sort of um, it's sort of like the Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, if you remember those from, from ancient Greece. What do they do? They tell stories, they uh, talk about trends and issues and even theological ideas, and they build culture. And that's what epic poetry was supposed to do. It was, it was theology, it was literature, it was entertainment even. Uh, and there were people that had the whole things memorized. Iliad and the Odyssey had the whole thing memorized. And they would come and perform it uh, for people. 
But it wasn't just entertainment. It was instilling values. And, of course, in, in our movies today, we still use movies and entertainment to instill values. And it's this is not really something that's even gone from the world. Uh, in the country of Kyrgyzstan, if you know where that is, uh, there there are the Kyrgyz people, and they have an epic poem that's it's still alive in their culture. And it's called the Epic of Manas. And there are these men called Manashi who have the epic memorized. And they you can hire them, and they'll come perform it at, you know, whatever event, you know, a wedding or a, a party or anything like that. And they will come, and they will perform a couple of hours for it, for you at a time, even though the whole thing is like over 24 hours. Uh, and it was only written down, say, 50 years ago. Before that, for hundreds of years, it is a completely oral story that people have memorized, and it's such a part of their culture. You cannot have the Kyrgyz people and Kyrgyz culture without the Epic of Manas. It, it's entertaining, but it also instills culture and value and teaches worldview. And in here we have in the book of Job, and indeed in all of the Bible, you have a lot of poetry and epic poetry. And people would, uh, you know, what do you do at the end of the day? You sit around and you tell these stories again and you tell poetic stories and you sing poetic songs and all of that instills values and, and, and indoctrinates, teaches worldview. And in the book of Job, what we have here is uh, sort of, um, uh, it's wisdom literature, um, but it's very subjective and it's uh, speculative um, there's there's good old fashioned wisdom in Proverbs, but there's speculative wisdom in the Book of Job, and that's what it is. And so people would have this memorized, large portions of this memorized, and they would read it to each other, and they would talk about it. And and so um, the the epic debate that's going to begin in chapter four is really set up by Job's lament here in chapter three. <clears throat> so let's read chapter three and just 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 get ready for it because it is absolutely sad. Job is going to do three things. He is going to lament that he was ever conceived. He was going to, he's going to lament that he wasn't stillborn, that he didn't die at birth, and he, then he's going to end up saying, Oh how I envy the dead. That's how low it gets. It's it's lower than he stopped loving her today. It's lower than everybody hurts. It's lower than Sunday morning coming down or Johnny Angel or any of them it could ever be. Um, it's pretty low. So let's let's pray and then let's get into the word. Heavenly Father, prepare us for this lament. Help us to see it properly. Help us to understand this passage and help us to understand just what we're supposed to do with our lives in light of um, this passage and this whole book of Job. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Job chapter 3. After all this, Job opened his mouth and broke the silence. He spoke a curse, not upon God, but upon the day of his birth. May the, die, may the day die on which I was born, along with the night that spoke the words, a boy is conceived. May, the day of, may that day of birth become darkness, and when it has disappeared, may God above neither seek it out nor light find a way to shine on it. Rather, let darkness and the shadow of death claim the day and its life-giving light. Let storm clouds roll over it and threatening blackness terrorize it. As to that night of my conception, may it be snatched by the thick darkness of death's realm, never to be released again for any year or any month. Basically, wipe it off the calendar. 
so my conception and life could never have happened. May that night prove infertile, and may no moan of pleasure be heard there. May out of the bring out the enchanters, the diviners who cast their spells in the day. Who can awaken that beast Leviathan? And may the early morning stars be extinguished. Let the day wait for a light that won't ever come. And may it never see the eyelids of dawn crack open. Because it neither closed the door of my mother's womb nor covered my eyes to these sorrows. Why did I not die at birth? Simply pass from the womb into death. Why did my mother's lap welcome me? And why did her breasts nourish me? If I had died, then I would now be reposed and quiet. I would be sleeping in peace, resting with kings and their earthly ministers who rebuilt ruined cities to glorify themselves, with princes who possessed gold, whose houses swelled with silver. Why was I not buried in secret as a baby born still, as a newborn who never saw light? In the sleep of death, the wicked can do no more damage. The weary ones at last can find rest. In death, the captives are freed together at ease, and the shouts of their oppressors die along with them. In the grave, together are the small and great, and slaves are, from masters are emancipated. Why is light awarded to those distressed and life given to embittered souls who long for a death that can't be found? though they mine the earth to find it more than hidden veins of riches, who would be overjoyed and glad when they find the grave. Why is light wasted on the earth bound, who cannot find their way and whom God has surrounded? For I groan before every meal, my moaning flows like water. What I feared most descends on me, my nightmare now reality. I have no peace, I have no quiet, my resting gone has turned to riot. And this translation is called The Voice. And those last two verses I really appreciated because they tried to make it uh, as poetic as possible. It's very hard to translate poetry from one language to another and uh, still have that sort of that zing to it. Uh, But here, listen to verses 25 and 26 again. What I feared most descends on me, my nightmare, now reality. I have no peace, I have no quiet, my resting gone has turned to quiet has turned to riot, excuse me. So that's some pretty sad poetry right there. He spent some time, uh, like I said, uh, cursing the night of his conception, uh, cursing the day of his birth, and then saying that he envied the dead. And remember in the Old Testament, they had, they didn't really have much understanding of the afterlife. They had sort of hope of the afterlife. They they had a uh, a dim view of it. They didn't know of heaven and hell like we do. Uh, they didn't know of uh, maybe sort of future judgment. Everything to them happened in this realm, in the the realm of the living. Uh, the realm of the dead uh, to them was just sort of the grave or resting or everything is kind of quiet. Uh, nothing is really there. Maybe it's kind of a, a limbo place. Maybe not a good place, but no, maybe not a bad terribly bad place either. Certainly not as good as heaven, but maybe also not as bad as hell. But it was a, a strange a strange understanding they had, and it was all very vague to them. And you can kind of see it in some of the things that they say. And what it really reminds me of is a verse in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 where Paul says, Brothers and sisters, 
We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Um, it, what happened in, in Thessalonica was that Paul planted this church, but he, I think he couldn't get to his full discipleship plan. So they weren't really fully catechized. They didn't really know uh, everything that Paul wanted them to know. And when he left, he left under duress, under persecution. And then later he hears that they're still alive, there's still a church there, and they have some questions. And I think when you read his letter to them, you can say, you can kind of hear a tone of, hey, I, I didn't figure you guys survived. I didn't know what was going on there. I was so glad to hear from you. And now I see your question that you want to know what happens in uh, life after death. Uh, you see, in, in the first century, everybody expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime. Um, Jesus ascended to the Father in about the year 33 AD, give or take, and everybody expected him to come back by the end of the century. Uh, they didn't expect it to be any time at all before Jesus came back. And then as Jesus uh, tarried more and more and more, longer and longer, there were actually Christians who got old and died, and then they said, oh no, what happens to them? They're going to miss the return of the Lord. And Paul writes to them and says, no, 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 no. They, actually, they have a privilege. They're, they're going to rise first. Um, and what he says here is, don't worry about them. Don't mourn for them as if they're gone and they're lost and, and there's nothing good for them uh, because uh, we have hope. We have this great hope. And to and what he said in another letter was to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So um, he gives people a lot of teaching and a lot of understanding or a lot of reassurance of the afterlife. Uh, but Job didn't have that. Job didn't have that. And if you don't have that, if you have a very vague view of the afterlife, if you have a very... Um, if you have a very ambiguous view of the afterlife, if it's if there's no real revelation, because like in the Torah, I don't you know God doesn't give Moses a real view of the afterlife. All judgment is in this life, and it's in this realm. Um, blessing is staying in the land, and and judgment is being kicked out of the land. Um, so for for people in the Old Testament, and remember, Job wasn't even Jewish, so he may I don't know how much of the of the old Old Testament revelation he even had. Um, but he was a monotheist. He did believe in the right God. But how much hope did he have for the afterlife? What understanding did he have of the afterlife? It was all very, very vague. Uh, and in the book of Ecclesiastes, the writer, and we'll assume it was Solomon. Actually, uh, most people don't realize that we always assume it's Solomon, but Solomon actually, is, his name is not attached to the book. Uh, it's not in the book. Um, <clears throat> and so anyway, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, if it was Solomon or whoever it was, um, they have, they're they very pessimistic about all of life. They're having a bad day. Some people might say they were having a midlife crisis or they're, they're looking at their life and they're looking at everything they've accomplished. And, they, and this person has accomplished a lot. This person is kind of like Job. They've accomplished a lot, except Job has lost everything now. But the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes hasn't lost everything. They've, they continue to accumulate, uh, except they see no point in it all. They're getting wiser and wiser, wiser to the point that it hurts. It's no longer joyful to understand things. It's no longer joyful to own things. It's no longer joyful to eat or drink or to be healthy even. Um, so they've, they've enjoyed such prosperity that it's almost a curse. Uh, and when this person thinks of the afterlife and thinks about human beings and thinks about what it means to live a righteous life, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 
uh, verse, starting in verse 19, he says this, Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth, into the shale, into the grave. Um, <clears throat> this person is lamenting the fact that they don't know. They have no idea what the afterlife brings. And so you see this sort of uh, pessimism or, or this um, strange, uneasy feeling about the afterlife, uh, sort of both in Job's words and in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, they don't know what happens, and they don't know if it's good or bad, or, or they say, you know, what does it even matter? What does any of it even matter? And so that is a picture of what it looks like for somebody to mourn without hope. If somebody has no hope, if somebody really doesn't understand the afterlife or the value of being human or the value of being righteous, that's the way they're going to mourn. They're going to mourn and say, what's the meaning of life? There's no meaning to it, especially if... Um, if after we die, nothing happens. Nothing happens. There's no good. There's no bad. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no judgment. There's no nothing. But it's not true. There is an advantage to being human. And there is an advantage uh, to being righteous. And there is an advantage to believing. Um, but it's in the New Testament where we really get all of that. So you have this angst in the Old Testament that they have revelation from God. They have um, a, a list of rules. They have some understanding of who God is and what God wants and what a human being is supposed to be. But there's also this angst of saying, hey, there's. I had more questions than that. Are you going to answer those questions too? And in the New Testament era, I think we also have um, <clears throat> excuse me, those same kinds of, of uh, questions, those same kinds of feelings that You've told us so much, Lord. You've given us so much indication of what you're like and what life is like and how we're supposed to live and uh, how we're supposed to believe and what what advantage there is in righteousness. But we still need more. You've even given us a clear picture of the afterlife, but there's so, so many questions that we still have. So our 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 minds, it seems, are, are never satisfied. We always want more from God. And the good thing is we know we will get it. We know that one of these days... Uh, for the believers at least, God will answer every question. And for all of eternity, whatever questions we can think of, whatever understanding we want to have, whatever uh, we, whatever more we want to know about God, we'll have access and we'll be able to understand. Now just going back to the reality of heaven and hell for us, Randy Alcorn said something that to me is just real wisdom. It's really incredible the, the clarity that this gives, and it allows us to mourn like people with hope, uh, to be very different, um, to not see uh, death as, as just the end and to not see the grave as the end of human beings. Um, but it, this should give us hope. It also should also push us forward in our efforts to evangelize. Listen to this. The world is the closest to heaven unbelievers will ever know and the closest to hell God's children will ever know. In other words, God has put us in a place that has its uh, good and bad. Um, he created the earth to be perfect, but we have allowed the, the curse of sin to enter in. So we live in this place that's sort of, uh, it's sort of hellish and heavenly all at the same time. Uh, the good earth that God created is a huge blessing to all of us. 
Uh, but it's not everything that we need. It's not everything our souls need. And this place is also filled with a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Uh, it is a hell on earth for, for a lot of people. But for unbelievers, this is as good as it gets. This is heaven. Uh, and after the judgment for them, it gets much worse. And we know that from New Testament revelation. However, the hope of the believer is that of everything in the in the world that you are suffering, all the pain that you have experienced here, there's an ending date on it, and it will be gone. And your future is a place of immense blessing, of incredible abundance, of great healing. And so this is the worst place you'll ever be. This right now is the worst place you'll ever be. Um, <clears throat> in the United States, of course, it's and we have a lot of abundance. We have a lot of good things here. If you were growing up in um, more disadvantaged places in the world, uh, then the, the saying that this is uh, hell on earth has a lot more meaning, I think. Um, but what this should do for us is to say, hey, you know what? If this is as bad as it gets, guess what? I've got hope for the future. But it should also push us to look at people who are not believers, who we know will not be with us in heaven, and... Um, look at them and say, hey, guess what? There's actually a better place than this. We should mourn that this is the best it's going to get for them, and that should drive us to share the gospel with them, to invest in their lives, to pray for them, uh, and to try to share the gospel with them so that they can go to a place that's even better than the good earth is for us right now. The big idea that I want to get across here is that Job thinks that there's no such thing as joy on the other side of this sorrow that he is going through. The big idea I want you to grasp is that there is joy on the other side of your sorrows, or at least there can be. Not that you can ever go back to a time when tragedy didn't happen, but you can enter a time in the future where you can have joy again. I believe it's possible on earth for that to happen for you. If it can't, or if you're determined to not let it happen, uh, then I can still promise you that your heart will be changed in a moment when you see Jesus face to face. I'm not telling you to let go of your pain. I know a lot of preachers, a lot of people will tell you, just let go of your pain. And I don't know if, I don't, I don't know that that's even possible for some people. I don't know that it's, it's, um, how do you just do that? How do you just say, okay, here, there's my pain. My pain's gone. I don't even know how that's possible. Although, I think you should try. And I'm not telling you to let go of your bitterness. Although, I think you should try. But even if you are clinging to pain and bitterness as part of your identity right now, when you see Jesus, he will forcibly remove them from you because he loves you too much to let you bring them with you into eternity. And I'm not trying to tell you that the past can be erased because it can't. Although you should try with God's help to not let it dominate all your thoughts. But I am telling you that if you think heaven won't be as sweet for you as it is for other people because of what has happened to you here on earth, you're wrong. In heaven, and heaven is anywhere Jesus is, by the way, you'll have a new body that was never victimized or diseased. You'll have a stronger will that's not contaminated by the sin of pride or stubbornness. You'll have, you'll have only an appetite for things that are life-giving, not life-taking. You'll have God's eternal perspective 
and a larger slice of his wisdom to help you see how everything fit together and how he has been working things out for good. Job didn't have that revelation. No wonder he had no hope. There was nothing for him to base his hope upon. He woke up every day with no way to hold his head that didn't hurt. But Jesus is the lifter of our heads. The promises of God's the one that we have that Job didn't know that he had. He still had them, but he didn't know that he had them. Those promises provide a foundation for us to build hope, to build joy, and a reconstructed life upon. You'll be united with some loved ones that you've lost. You'll feel better again. Your new body won't betray you. Your chemicals will all be balanced. Your soul will be free from sin. Your mind will be renewed and given knowledge that you can't handle now. Your nightmare will fade and the dream of real life will come true for you. The riot in your heart will quiet down. If you're a student of the arts, then I'll say I'll put it this way. The angst and confusion of your Picasso will t- turn into the serenity of a Monet. And your heavy metal will turn into Kenny G or Enya. Your turbulent waters will be stilled. Your storms will be muzzled. Your skies will turn blue. So your conception was a good thing. Your birth wasn't unfortunate. However, it's not illogical for us to envy the dead in Christ. They see Jesus now. They've entered their Sabbath. They'll rise first. Our turn will come. Be patient. Stay focused on Christ. Endure another day. Any older person will tell you just how fast life goes by. Our turn for glory will come fast enough. Believe in Jesus. Trust Jesus. Pour your heart out to Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive and transform you. Your sad song will turn into a joyful dance. Your epic tragedy will turn into an epic comedy. Your story will be one of inspiration and joy. It'll be a story worthy of a campfire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the one who changes our stories. Lord, you are the one who turns every tragedy into a comedy, who turns every sad song into a joyful song. Lord, please turn our mourning into dancing. Help us to have um, the abundant life now, the best that we can. And Lord, help us to always remember not to mourn like somebody with no hope. Help us to be good proclaimers of the gospel, good proclaimers of the hope that we have within us. Help us to um, to lead everyone, as many as we can, from this hell on earth to our heavenly home so that they won't go from hell on earth to actual hell. Lord, help us to be very good defenders of our hope, defenders of our faith, proclaimers of our faith, Help us to be joyful in the midst of so much sorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.